Hello, and welcome to the Villains and Monsters podcast, where true crime meets thrilling fiction and dark minds come together to talk about all things sinister and psychotic. I'm Cassie Sharp, suspense and thriller author and your host. Hi, guys. I'm back. <laughs> uh, once again, I took a bit of a hiatus. I'm sure that you know that. Um, but we are back, and this is the final episode of Where the Shadow Lies, the audio cast. Um, because the end uh, happens so quickly and chapters start and stop in the middle of a scene and then start again in the same scene, um, I wanted to just present basically the entire ending to you guys at once. So this episode is going to be a bit longer. Um, but it will complete this book and I'm really excited. Um, I just finished recording all the chapters, uh, in this episode and man, it was really fun to go back to the craziness at the end of this book. So I'm excited, uh, for you guys to hear it and I'm excited of what's to come. So, um, I'm going to do just a tiny little recap and then we're going to get started. And then after the book's done at the end, um, I'm going to kind of talk about where we're going from here and what's going on with me and my life and, um, where my priorities are. So quick recap, we are right at the end of the book. Um, JL has, uh, she got away from Mike at, the bar and she took Xander's truck and then she started following Algos's directions, which was to park on door road, leave the truck, leave her phone, leave the keys, um, start walking, um, to where there was supposed to be a bike that would give her further instructions. Um, she did all that, but her ankle was jacked up. And, um, so she's and her hands are cut and so she's bleeding like the whole way, um, but she's doing all these things that she has to do. And then she gets to the house and it's this dilapidated, torn down piece of shit house. Um, but there's torches lining the sidewalk and it's all very sinister. And when she gets in the house, um, it's dark and she can't see where she's going and there's no lights and she doesn't have a phone or anything on her. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, where we left off with Xander. So, um, Xander, remember he had flown to Louisville to see Graham who was in the hospital. Um, she had slipped into a coma, but then came back out. Um, and Xander was really worried about her. Uh, her body was not reacting well to the transplant that she just donated to a really sick kid, um, part of her liver. So, grand struggling, struggling, Xander's visiting her. Um, but then, um, he gets word that jail's in trouble, that she's gone. They don't know where she is. Um, and something bad could be happening. So he jumps on a flight back to Louisville and, um, is met with the police. I mean, sorry, he jumps on a flight back to Charleston and he's met met with the police in Charleston, um, who are investigating the death of the man in, um, 
White Point Garden um, and because they think that Jason is a suspect. So that's where we left off with Xander and where we left off with Jason was the same as the last place we left off. We know uh, he went to White Point Garden. Um, he followed a guy. The guy ended up dead. Um, and then Jason was um, the very end of that episode or the very end of that chapter Jason um, is looking at the dead man on the ground when he gets a gun pointed to his back and um, somebody says, hello, son. So that's where we are. Um, this is where everything comes together and all of your questions are answered um, and it gets crazy and suspenseful. And I kind of got into it while I was reading it, y'all. Um, I kind of got into like the acting aspect of it. So this these uh, chapters might be a little bit more animated than you're used to from me, but hey, it was fun. I got into it. So anyway, um, I will see you guys on the other side of where the shadow lies. Chapter 40 Mr. Williams, sir? Xander glanced up from J.L.'s file. Seth needed to stop addressing him so formally. Just call me Xander, he told him. What do you want? You don't trust those detectives, do you? No the hell he did not. O'Brien and Matthews had left an hour ago, claiming they needed to get some things from the station. No word since, and he called more than once. No, they aren't here to help find J.L., they're here to solve their homicide. If we're going to find them, we're going to have to do it ourselves. All he had to do was find the missing puzzle piece. Xander turned to the room. Everyone was still here, waiting for information. Francis and Mike sat on opposite couches in front of the fireplace, while Seth and Xander sat at a table. Chris was perched in a chair near the door. The answer is here somewhere, he said to the room. All of you know everything that's happened since the day I met J.L. Xander paused, frowning. Saying it that way made it seem like he'd been the cause of all the trouble. He shook his head. Everything that happened, it's all connected somehow. From that very first note to J.L. going missing on us, it's all happening because one man is finding pleasure in fucking with his family. So, who is it? My instinct has always been Jason's father, but... He's in prison, so if he's behind it, he's got to have help. If it's not Xander, Francis said, his voice shaking. You don't, I, I thought she told you. Xander closed the file, told me what. Francis shook his head from side to side. You don't understand. We are looking for him. The man that's in prison, he's not the one who kidnapped my girl those years ago. He's not the one held her prisoner and did, he looked away, those things to her. That man's still out there as far as we know. Xander felt like someone had punched him in the jaw. His hands broke out in a sweat. His ears and cheeks heated. He stood swiftly, knocking his chair back. He was at the door in two strides. He threw it open and allowed it to slam behind him. The owners were lucky. The inn was so beautiful. 
because the urge to punch holes through the walls of the hallway was strong and he shook from the force of it. How long has she fucking known? He whispered to himself, his eyes on the floor as he paced. No way. No damn way she would keep this from him. He could have found Jason days ago had he known. Xander heard a door from somewhere down the hall, but he was too wrapped up in what ifs to care. Boss? Xander turned around and marched straight toward his partner. He grabbed the front of Mike's t-shirt, pinning him to the wall. How long have you known? Has she known? Mike's expression was relaxed, calm. I had no clue, Xander, he said, his voice low and soothing. If she knows, it's only recent. Likely something she found out at the prison yesterday. She was quiet the whole ride home. When we got back, she went straight to her room and didn't come out till last night. We all figured it had been hard facing him after all these years. We gave her the space she obviously wanted, man. Mike's eyes searched his own. He brought a hand up, dislodging Xander's hold on his shirt and pushing him back a step. Now you need to calm down. This ain't the time to lose your shit. Get the fuck over it and let's find this bastard. Xander nodded. Let's. For the first time in years, Xander felt the urge to hug another man. Xander? For the first time in years, Xander felt the urge to hug another man. Seth was the shit. He smiled at the kid, guy, man, whatever, and patted his shoulder. Once Xander knew where to look, he'd scan JL's file again. If this guy hadn't been caught, he was likely a serial criminal. From what little he did know about him, Xander had gathered that he wasn't some disorganized impulse offender. The man had a method, which likely meant he had a place. Door Road was where she'd been found. That had to be close to where this asshole did his business. Before they'd left, Xander had Seth had approached Xander. I asked you about those detectives because I believe you're right not to trust them. I have some equipment with me and I can improvise anything else I need, he'd said. Xander had been confused. And, he'd asked Seth, and I can connect with the police scanners in the area. Should be able to hook up to any channel if there's more than one, so we can keep an eye on them. Xander had smiled, a newfound respect for the kid brewing in his head. Xander had taken Seth with him on his trip to Dor. While he drove, Seth tinkered. They'd come upon his truck within minutes. Parking behind it, Xander had jumped out of Seth's car, racing to the driver's side and searched for JL, but the cab had been empty. Now they sat on a gravel side street a couple miles ahead of his truck, waiting for the police to arrive. Thanks to Seth's invention, they'd had a 10-minute heads up on the uniform's arrival. Xander estimated O'Brien and Matthews would only be minutes behind them, he checked his watch. JL had been gone nine hours now. Chapter 41 JL had tried to prop the door open, but there was nothing to keep it ajar. She'd peeked around the small space that was illuminated by the torches outside. Nothing. No furniture, bricks, or books. 
just a dusty hardwood floor whose planks were warped, dipping in places and protruding in others. Once she let the handle go, the room was immersed in darkness. The torches outside had either gone out as the door closed or the windows were blacked out. Propping a hand on the wall for support, JL decided to turn left. Each hobble stole her breath, the, the sharp sting beginning in her ankle and traveling up her calf. Without sight, all her other senses were on overdrive. Smell, suffocating mold and must. Touch, the grimy walls stuck to the skin around her wounds. Taste, acid, blood, fear. Sound, the wood groaning beneath her. If only she could see the matches. Two left, with her free hand, bleeding and shaking, she dug in the pocket of her jeans. Strike, hiss, light. Ahead, another room, dining perhaps. Behind, darkness. She leapt forward. She reached the next room in two pitiful strides. It was small, the ceiling seeming to dip in the nearest corner. A movement on the right, something skittering across the floor. That's all she saw before the light burned out. She couldn't risk lighting the last one. Not yet. Cold, dead terror settled in her gut. Breaths heaving, she shut her useless eyes. Every muscle in her body quivered. She tried to take another step, but her limbs would not obey. Fuck. She couldn't go on. She wasn't strong enough, brave enough. She was a failure, and her son and an innocent girl would pay for her weakness. Jason. Memories of him as a toddler surfaced behind her closed lids. Learning to crawl, talk, walk. Laughing, always laughing. Stealing her heart with each waking moment. Her whole life had revolved around making his the best it could be. And now it would end. No, 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 no. That would not stand. He would not die for her fear. The throb in her legs were too much. Crouching down on all fours, she crawled forward. Her hands sliding across the wood were aflame with agony. The rough wood splintered into her cuts. What felt like raised nails scraped across the exposed flesh. It took effort not to scream, not to cry. It was relief when her palms hit a smooth surface. It felt like linoleum in heaven, the kitchen. At the far right side, she could make out a tiny line of a white on the floor. It was a light under a door, a beacon, a relief, a godsend. She crawled faster, her veins sparking with life. What felt like fur brushed her arms and wrist a few times. Do not think about that. When she reached the door, she was dizzy with relief. Jael flopped down onto the cold linoleum, pressing her face against the light, attempting to see beneath the door. There was nothing, just light. She reached up to the doorknob, blowing out a breath when it turned without resistance. What she saw beyond made her heart sink. It was a staircase going down. On the wall, a plastic round touchlight provided only enough illumination to see halfway down the stairs. The bottom was ensconced in darkness. She sat up, swinging her legs around to the first step. One by one, she scooted down the rackety stairs. 
She stopped when she got to the end of the illumination, her legs in the darkness, her torso in the light. She took deep, calming breaths to stave off panic. Go. When her ass touched smooth concrete, she opened her eyes. It was a black void down here. Striking the last match, she turned in all directions. And that's when she heard it. A blood-curling wail. It came from the hallway ahead. She stood, bracing herself on the wall and hopped toward the sound. Every step was like a pendulum in her heart, the beats gaining strength with each sway. When the long scream finally stopped, whimpers and cries followed. The match burned out before she got to that final door, but she didn't need it. She knew where she was going now. I'm coming, baby. Chapter 42 She's coming, he said from across the room. Jason turned that way, but everything was muted and blurry. How long had his eyes been this way? After seeing the body in White Point Garden, the gun had been placed at his back. He knew then that it was him. Dad. He'd forced Jason to stand, hand over his wallet and phone, and then he'd tossed it into the night. The car had been parked not a hundred yards away. Once Jason was seated in the passenger seat, he remembered a sting in his arm, and then nothing. He'd woken up, still groggy from the injection, still paralyzed from its effects, to a cold room. He'd seen her right away. Her body was blurry, her face distorted, but he'd known it was her, Emily. She was tied to a bed across the room, thrashing and crying. Jason had tried to stand to, to go to her, but his limbs wouldn't listen. He'd sat there drooling, stupefied and helpless while she'd lain there pleading for his help. Then he'd come into view, the monster, the man who Jason itched to kill. He caught a bleary glimpse of his face, but his eyes could not be trusted in that state. He thought it had been, no, no, it couldn't have been him. The drugs had been playing tricks. Before Jason had been able to focus on his father's face, he'd seen them in his hand, metal tools. They looked like something you'd see at an optometrist's office. He grabbed Jason's chin, forcing his head up and brought the tool up to Jason's eye. In one swift motion, Jason's eyelid was pried open as far as it could go, and the device was attached to the right side of his face. Then his hand, digging into Jason's pocket, removing the switchblade and tossing it onto the mantle. Jason had struggled as much as his muscles had allowed. He'd shaken his head, tried to ball up his fist, but it had been useless. Tisk tisk, his father had said. You keep thrashing around like that. This device is going to rip off your eyelids. Be still now. This is happening, son. Jason had shot hatred from his heart through his eyes, aimed directly into his father's forehead. But hate didn't kill him. Only acting upon hate kills, and Jason was too encumbered to do that. The second device went on his other eye quickly, and then he'd let go of Jason's chin. You came for your gift, he'd said. 
his tone colored in sick happiness. Jason hadn't answered. Nothing good was bound to come out of his mouth, so for Emily's sake, he remained quiet. I haven't touched her, if that's what you're thinking. She's yours, Jason. I've missed birthdays and Christmases your entire life. Sorry about that. Truth is, I don't think I'd have made a good father. Not to mention your mother ran away and hid you from me. Mom. God, Mom. She's going to be punished for that, believe me. But that's beside the point. The girl is my gift to you. I've been watching you. I know you want her. That she keeps rejecting you like the little tease she is, but there's no more rejections, Jason. Look at her, he demanded. Jason had obeyed. She's beautiful. You get your taste in women from me, he chuckled. I'm a sucker for blondes, too. He paused at the as if in thought. Except my little kitty cat. She's my black-haired beauty, my exception, my gem. Jason had seethed at the mention of mom. The sick bastard had tortured her, and now he was romanticizing it? Jason had struggled against the numbing of the drugs. He tried to move his arms, his hands, but they remained still. I suppose you're wondering why I pried your eyes open? He'd asked. Because you're a sick fuck. You were going to watch her, memorize every line of her body as soon as I removed that sheet. She's naked for you, son. Naked and ready. As soon as you claim her the way we both know you want to, I'll take the devices off your eyes. Jason had sat in silence for what felt like hours staring at Emily's body. His vision had cleared not long after he'd placed the devices on Jason's eyes, but Jason had refused to look anywhere but at her. Had refused to give the bastard a second glance. Rage had burned through his veins. Vengeance, a hungry tiger in his soul, prowling pacing, waiting for just the right moment to pounce. I see your mother has had an influence on your morals, he'd said after hours of silence. You are a product of me, son, my seed. Your destiny is to follow in my footsteps, and I'm going to set you free, Jason. Free from the restraints of society that has forced upon you about right and wrong. Who are they to tell you what urges you may or may not follow? Who are they to tame the instinct you were born with to claim what's yours? There are no more rules, son. Not for you. Not for me. You want her? Say the words and I'll untie you. Say the word and I'll leave you alone with her. But don't take me for a fool, boy. I'll have a gun trained on her head the entire time. You try to free her, try to do something heroic, she'll die. Jason had looked down, noticing the ropes for the first time. How had he missed them? Things were fuzzy in his head. Memories of how he got here. The room had begun to morph into a whiteout, void of details. Time passed, how much he couldn't know before his father spoke again. Humanity has its claws in you. I guess we'll just have to break them off, one by one. The monster had moved to the wall then, turning a dial to dull the brightness of the light. Jason had relaxed, the throb in his head diminishing. It was a dimmer, easier on the eyes. Moments later, a screen he hadn't noticed on the wall opposite him lit up. 
He'd heard a whimper before the picture cleared enough for him to make out what was happening in the video. A girl, tied up, blonde, naked, on a bed that looked identical to Emily's. She was blindfolded. Her lush body was riddled with cuts and bruises. She was thrashing from side to side on the bed, a futile attempt to free herself. Then he came into the picture, naked. Jason had shuddered. He knew what was coming next. His eyelids had strained against the metal that held them in place. He couldn't watch this. No, don't hurt her, don't. She screamed. Her cries of agony had thundered in his ears as he turned his head. No, his father had whispered from behind him. You will watch every moment of this and the next one and the next. I have loads of them. You will watch until you are freed. Turn away and I slice a finger off your toy. Do you understand? It felt like days had gone by now. Jason had watched girl after girl, raped, tortured, maimed, until his sight had diminished to the extent that he only saw blurs and shadows. He hadn't been spared her tape, though. It was the last one he saw with any clarity, and from what he could tell from her voice, it was still plain. He was grateful for the reprieve of watching the terror, but he could still hear his mother's screams loud and clear. His stomach was drained of vomit, his body of fight. She'll be here any minute now, he repeated. Mom, Jason knew he'd been referring to her. His father had forced Jason to speak into the phone hours ago. He knew she'd come then, that she wouldn't dare allow her only son to face the monster alone. His hearing was amplified now that his vision was gone. A jangle on the door handle to his left. Mom, a bang on wood. She's here. Footsteps, him, his voice. You've made it, love. I can't tell you how proud that makes me, that you went through hell to return to me. The door is locked, as you can tell. I will open it once you've stripped down to your underwear and injected yourself with what's in that needle on your left. Don't. He could hear her response if she he couldn't hear her response if she'd given one. Minutes later he heard the lock tumble over. No, no, no. Go back, Mom. Run. Footsteps retreating, him moving back, the door opening. No. Fumbled steps like a hobble. Was she hurt? A gasp of breath, Mom taking in the room. I know, Mom, I'm sorry. Jason, she whispered. He could make out the shape of her, could smell the shampoo she used. His hands were tied in front of him, and though he knew it was pointless, he reached for her. I'm here, Jason. What? What? Don't talk to him, Mom. He screamed the thought at her. He couldn't move, couldn't let him see. Turn back this way. Watch me. Watch my hands. Jason shouted his hatred when he saw her blurry form slump to the floor. Chapter 43. She'd left a trail of blood. It wasn't enough to be alarmed that she was on the verge of bleeding out, but every other hundred feet or so, there'd been drops. 
not still warm, but not dried yet either. Xander had only first noticed the blood because it began miles up the road near where they had been hiding out while the cops inspected his truck. Bike tracks ran alongside the blood. Seth and Xander had raced back to Seth's car, hopped in, and followed the trail. It ended on a bloody bicycle parked in front of a condemned house. Seth was still listening to the scanner, but nothing was being said. Xander reached under his seat to the handgun stored there. Time to gear up. He looked over to Seth, who was assembling his own weapons. Seth glanced his way. I got a bad feeling about this one, boss, he said. Xander shivered. Deja vu. Thing is, they really didn't have another choice this time. Before he could voice that to Seth, the kid spoke. It's got to be done, though. I know. I'll follow your lead. I won't let you down. Xander half smiled. He didn't doubt it. The perimeter check was clear. There was a back door, locked, and a basement door sealed up tight. As they made their way back around to the front, Xander thought he heard a thump coming from below. He ran the rest of the way up the cracked sidewalk, Seth hot on his heels. The slats on the porch wobbled as he raced to the front door. He turned back to Seth. You ready? He asked the kid, his associate. Seth nodded, his face stone serious. I'm not. Xander opened the unlocked door, his pistol ready. The door creaked as it opened, completely foiling any hope of being discreet. He kicked the door the rest of the way open, entering step by cautious step with his gun leading the way. Seth crept behind him, turning left as he stepped into the room while Xander turned right. It was dark, the windows blacked out. He flicked the light switch, nothing. Squinting, Xander glanced around the space. It seemed to be a living room or a large foyer. There were openings on both ends, though he couldn't make out anything beyond them in this light. Do you have a flashlight? He whispered. Seth shook his head. Shit. No time to go back, especially if someone had been alerted to their presence. Xander pointed to the left, indicating Seth should go that way. Xander would take the right. Likely the pass would meet up near the back of the house. The moment Xander made a move, the door closed behind him. So be it. He took out his phone, aiming the screen on the floor to the light his way. The next room had a large fireplace and a sunken floor, which may or may not have been designed that way. Din, nothing. He continued passing an open door, bathroom, until he came to a large open space. The windows in this room were bigger than those in the other rooms. He turned in a circle, counting four walls and no other doors. Dead end. Sander, he heard. Seth. He moved back into the hall, looking for him, and was blinded. The bright light from Seth's phone was a shock to eyes that had been acclimated to darkness. Point it down, he barked. The light hit the floor. What the hell, Seth? There's blood this way, Seth whispered. Xander cringed. He'd been grateful for the crimson breadcrumbs that had led him to this place, but knowing JL was here somewhere, hurt or worse, it scared him motionless. Seth turned. Xander followed, noting their surroundings. There was blood on the walls. He reached out a finger to feel the smears, almost dry. They followed it into the next room. 
Turning about, Xander searched the walls in this room for more, but there was none. Down here, Seth said. Xander followed the light to the floor. Blood. A lot of it. Fuck. They tracked the streaks through the kitchen to a door. There was a ray of light shining through the bottom. Xander took a deep breath, said a prayer, and turned the knob. At the bottom of the staircase, Xander's phone rang. He scrambled to silence it. A glance at the screen showed a number from Louisville. He sent the call to voicemail. When he pocketed it, he noticed Seth's horrified expression. Shit, I'm sorry, I'll just put it on vibrate. Seth nodded, shining light around the darkness. The two men shadowed each other as they took cautious steps around the large room. In the back, there was a workbench pushed against the wall. They inched closer, transfixed by the objects neatly lined up atop its surface. Knives. Lots of them. All deadly sharp, shiny silver, from handle to blade, and in a variety of sizes. They were kept in pristine condition, not a nick or speck of dirt on them. All their handles were grooved alike, likely custom made. Xander swallowed as he stared at them, the tools of a madman. Jail was close. He could feel it. He nudged Seth in a different direction. There would be no, there would be time to analyze the sickness of this psychopath later. There was a light, a hallway to the right. Xander turned that way, figuring she'd be locked in one of the rooms. That's when he heard it. A scream from behind. He turned back, sprinting into the darkness. He heard it clearer now. Ten! A woman's voice screams more of them. No, 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 please stop. He followed the voices, running to save, running to kill. Catching up, Seth shined light ahead of Xander. A door lay ahead. Stop! came from behind it. Xander paused before opening it. He checked the magazine and his gun. Full. Seth did the same. Xander held up his first, middle, and ring fingers. Three. Xander was going to burst through that motherfucker and kill any man that stood on the other side. Two. The screams abruptly stopped. One. He would not be merciful. He took a breath, kicked the door open, and pointed his gun. What he saw threatened to buckle his knees. Oh, God, no. There was blood spattered along every wall. The bright red streaks on white walls screamed at his eyes in horror. To the left, a bed and a girl. She lay there, perfectly still. Her body turned from his. Dead? A man clad... A man clad only in his boxers was on the far side of the room. His back also turned as he was bent over fumbling for something on the ground. Xander pointed his gun at him. The moment he turned, his life would end. Sick, sick, fuck. And then he saw it. At first, his mind refused to acknowledge what was lying motionless on the floor by the bed. Dark, wavy hair covered in blood. No. He was too late. Boom, boom, a pounding in his ears. His gun shook. Angel, the blood pooled around her. The man still bent, still turned. Xander brought his gun up. He closed one eye. Aim, sure fucking aim at the man. Breathe in, trigger finger in place. Exhale, squeeze. Chapter 44 one hour earlier. For 20 years, she'd had nightmares, almost nightly. 
None of them, not a single one, could prepare her for the scene she woke up to. Jason, her sweet boy, was tied to a chair, his eyes held open by metal tools. He was in his boxers, sweat and dirt sticking to his skin, his breathing heavy. To the left, against the far wall, was a bed. That bed. She fucking knew that bed. Lying naked and exposed was a lovely girl around Jason's age. Her hair, though dirty, was long and flowed around her, head and pillow. She wasn't blindfolded, though. Her eyes were wide with terror, her cheeks red from crying. Jael saw him out of the corner of her eye. She saw his form, his body, but hadn't dared to take a direct look. She wasn't sure she wanted to know what the devil looked like up close. What? What? She paused, breathed. What the fuck are you doing to him? A chuckle answered her from across the room. He's just fine, love. We're experimenting with genetics. The devices are perfectly safe. Eye doctors use them frequently. Then softer. I'm glad you're awake. She glanced to the bed. The girl, she was terrified. What have you done to her? Mmm. Stets. She kept her eyes trained on the girl as Algos reached a hand out to stroke her blonde hair. She's not mine. Our boy has great taste, does he not? The girl thrashed from side to side as he continued to touch her head. Emily is so pretty and pure. Once he cooperates, we can leave this place, the four of us. Anywhere you want to go, Cat. It's time to reunite our family. Her skin broke out with chills. Then she heard it again, a scream. Louder this time and coming from behind her, it took a great effort to get to her feet, turning while the world crashed down around her. On a large screen, a video played. Watching her own young, naked body bleed and thrash around with each slice of that sharp silver knife was such an immediate shock, the force of it made her stumble backward. Into the fireplace, its mantle clipping her shoulder. She couldn't look away. The room faded. No more Jason. No innocent girl that needed saving. No psychopath. Just J.L. and Catherine. The girl and the woman, together. J.L. reached out a hand, trying to caress Catherine's head, needing to clear the sweat off her brow. I know, honey. It hurts. It's torturous. I'm here. I'm sorry. Catherine cried out, God, make it stop. Please, God, make it stop. Don't think about it, Catherine. Just go away. Go away to your happy place, my girl. It will be over soon. Just breathe. Tears streamed down JL's cheeks. Tears for that innocent girl. Tears for all of them, the ones he'd done this to. It killed her to turn away from Catherine, but she needed to be alert for Jason. Smart for him. Cunning enough to get him and the girl out of the room. Strong enough to give her life for theirs. J.L. turned to her son. He seemed to be looking just inches to the right of her face. She wondered how long his eyes had been that way. How damaged they were now. 
Jason turned his head back toward Emily. The movement barely caught her attention. His hands were pointing down toward the ground between his knees, hidden by his legs to anyone but her. They were moving, speaking. Yes. I-F-E-O-N-M-A-N-T-L-E-B-E-H-I-N-D-Y-O-U. She'd missed the first few letters, but she knew what he is saying, and she almost didn't catch herself from smiling. JL leaned her head to the side, motioning to him. Jason's head was turned away, but not enough where he wouldn't see it out of the corner of his eye. Do something. Distract. Seconds later, Jason turned to the bastard. JL stole a glance at him, quick, too quick, not long enough to make out the details of his face. He liked it that way. She'd been blindfolded each time they'd been in this room together in the past. For now, she would play nice, play scared, play his. I'm ready, Jason said. Ready for what? No, not that. Not that kind of distraction. She could feel his smile from across the room. Good. Should we watch? He asked. Vomit. She could taste it. No. Jason said. I want the two of you to leave the room. What are you doing? Untie me so I can do it. All right, son, he said. JL trained her eyes on Emily while Algos cut Jason's ropes. Emily was panicking. I won't let it happen. JL promised her with her eyes. The devices are staying on. I want to make sure you watch her squirm, Algos said while Jason stood. Study those eyes, son. The ones that once held pity, disgust, contempt. I know how it feels, Jason. People watching you, judging you your whole life. People just waiting to jump at the chance to blame the odd child. The ropes fell to the ground with a thud. I set you up with the cops in the finger. I did. I'm sorry about that, but you needed to see it for yourself. You needed to feel the weight of the pricks of this world so you could, in this precise moment, Take every ounce of that power back from them through her, he said as he pointed to Emily. Watch her eyes turn instantly to fear. It's beautiful to watch, if you can stand giving her anything. I never could. That's why I blindfolded mine. I took away their power to display any type of emotion or reaction. Algo stepped back, took a gun from the back of his slacks, and threw his arm out, gun aimed on J.L., you will start now. Once it's begun, your mother and I will leave the room. Jason nodded, his back turned to JL. Don't do it. Don't. Jason walked to the bed, his steps slow. Algos turned to watch as Jason stopped at the end of the bed. He placed a hand on each side of his boxers. JL shot her hand out, feeling for the knife. She found it. Switchblade. Perfect. Jason, stop! JL yelled. She watched the gun as it swung away from her, pointed at Jason's head. Jason turned to her, desperation and dread shining through his sightless eyes. Breathe. Algos faced her. She watched his neck and jaw, averting her gaze from his face. Play. He was waiting for her explanation, but she fumbled. The words she'd been practicing for hours wouldn't work. She'd planned to trade her life for theirs, but now, now she had opportunity. She fondled the handle of the blade hidden in her palm. Improvise. They're just kids, she began like she'd planned. 
There's going to be plenty of time for all that. I'm here. I never thought I'd be back here with you, but I am. And you haven't touched me yet. And it's making me jumpy. The words she knew she must give him tasted like rot. Nobody. It's been 20 years and no other person has ever touched me. I haven't been able to allow anyone else close enough to. I'm still yours. Only yours. She swayed from the queasiness. Mine, mine, mine. Have you thought about me? She asked, using her free hand to run through her hair, the movement causing her bra to ride down. Step, breathe, step, breathe. The sharp sting in her ankle was barely noticeable through her panic. She stopped when she was in within reaching distance. Eyes on his chest, she whispered her next thoughts. I've dreamed of you every night, your hands touching me, you invading me, the pain, the screams, that girl, she pointed to the screen. She was yours, unwillingly. The woman before you, me, I'm yours, willingly. Those last words stole her breath as she took one last step to close the distance. His free arm rose slowly. He took a strand of her hair between his fingers, rubbing and breathing and freaking her the fuck out. You want me to touch you? JL swallowed. I want you to do whatever you want to with me. This is your show. I have no choice. She whimpered as his hand shot to the back of her head, his palm enclosing on a large chunk of hair at her scalp. He pulled her head backward with force until she was face to face with him. His, her eyes were closed. This may have been a test. He loved tests. She held her breath as he dominated her there, his grip wrenching her hair with unrelenting force. Open your eyes, kitty cat. Fuck. She could do this. She could force disgust out of her mind and replace it with a fear of mixture and reverence. She had to. She opened them. The fear came easy. His eyes were almost black and they bored into her own. His eyebrows rose as they stared at one another. Reverence, respect, submission. She forced them all into herself and spit them back out at him. His eyes widened. Shock. He brought his other arm, the one still holding the gun to her back, holding her in place. Your eyes, he said, wonder in his tone. Nobody has ever looked at me like that. Nobody has ever wanted me. Not the cunt who bore me or the man who spawned me. Not the foster parents or the teachers. Not the girls who did nothing but ridicule me, disgust in their eyes. Not even the first one to ever speak to me. My first love. Her golden hair was the shiniest I've ever seen. It glowed around her. Then one day I tried to kiss her and that bitch slapped me. His hand and her hair tightened. He was going to come away with an entire chunk. Laughed at me. Told me I was hideous and worthless, he said, spittle running down the side of his mouth. Black eyes threatening. She paid. They all paid. But you, cat, you were different. From the first day to the last, you surprised me and captivated me. I couldn't hate you. I tried, but it never came. The urge to take your body parts or slit your throat. Then, he said, a sick smile ghosting his lips. I figured it out. You were pregnant and I knew everything had changed. I let you go, love. 
when you passed out on your way out the door, I carried you to my car and I laid you down in that ditch on door so you could raise our child and we could be together in the end. His face turned stony. What I hadn't anticipated was how much of a fucking pussy you'd raise our boy to be, he said, eyes narrowing. I can forgive those things, though, because you're here, because you're looking at me the way you are. There were absolutely no words. She saw the exact moment a thought hit him. His jaw hardened. You didn't let that stupid hick I hired to find you. Fuck you, he asked. What? She shook her head. No time to think about it. Nobody has ever touched me there. It's yours. He smiled. You didn't know, did you? That your good friend Xander was working for me when he found you? That he told me exactly where to get my family back? He asked. God, it hurt. Above. She shrugged. I know you got my phone number somewhere. She quit. He grinned. She gagged. It was not Mr. Williams whom I got it from, Cap. That trash who struck you, then took your purse, I hired him. He was to take it and run, not touch you, he said, anger bubbling below the words. He called me from your phone so I could get the number. When he flew back here to collect his earnings, he was dealt with. Dealt with. She knew what that meant. The severity of how dangerous he was tickled her nerves. How many had met their demise at his hand? Walton's words echoed through her fear, I'd always had the suspicion he killed him. Why her? You drugged me in my house. Switched the pills. Why? Why didn't you take me or kill me then? Algos loosened his grip in her hair and rubbed her head. Oh, my sweet Catherine. I never planned to kill you. I needed you passed out because I had to have a look around your house. I had to know if there was a man in your life. Any man. I couldn't get Jason to go into detail about your personal life when I asked him questions all those weeks ago, so I had to figure it out for myself. Her eyes flew to her son. When? Who? How? But another question outweighed those. What would you have done if there were another man? He stepped back. Killed him, of course. Nobody touches what's mine without my permission. As he said the words, his eyes traveled down her body. When he saw her stomach, he stilled. Jael's breath caught in her throat when he brought the gun between them. The cold steel kissed her skin. The barrel of the gun traced her scars on her chest and stomach. All of them. You kept them all, he whispered to himself or to her. She didn't know. He gripped her arm when the gun paused on her biggest one, the only one he hadn't given her. He pressed the gun into the scar hard. Our son gave you this one, she nodded. He done the, dug the, the gun dug in deeper. Did you punish him for it? His voice was a lethal whip. She shook her head. No, why, why would I? It brought him into this world. His head snapped up, their eyes meeting. My mother punished me every day for giving her one just like this. She slapped me around and forced me to look at it every time she got out of the shower. He pulled her in close, the gun now behind her back again. She told me she would rather I have died in her womb than be cut out of her. JL swallowed. I'm sorry she did that to you. She forced herself to convey her empathy. A mother who loves her child would never care about that. The look he gave her next was one of admiration. 
The handle of the gun cut into her hip as he pulled her closer. She closed her eyes, breathing in his scent. It's him. She hadn't been positive until this moment. She opened her eyes again, watching his, which tore through her skin, just like his knife once did. Mine, he whispered, closing his eyes, bending his face closer to hers. She took her shot. In one move, she pressed the button, bringing her hand up with more force than she knew she was capable of. It hit him right below the ribs on his right side, the gun hand. She felt it as it cut through his skin. His eyes flashed open, rage burning into her. He leaned to that side, dropping the gun. She kicked it away. She held her son's switchblade firmly inside him. Don't you want me to see the beauty inside you? She watched, mesmerized, as she pulled it out, blood gushing with each inch it retracted through his already pierced flesh. She looked back up into his eyes and saw it. Fear. She smiled. Oh, yes. One, she whispered as he fell backward. Once he was on the floor, she jumped on top of him, straddling his legs. Jason moved behind her, but she blocked out everything but him. Bringing the knife above her head, she aimed for his stomach. Down, pierce, gush. Two, she yelled. Three, stab. His eyes began to close. She shook him until they were white again. Four, thrust, dig. His black eyes were full of hate and fear. JL leaned down, her own gaze steady and sure as it held his. Five, up, down. He'd made her wear a blindfold when their roles were reversed. Fucking coward. Six, breathe, cut. Seven, her hands stilled, hesitating. His breaths were shallow but still present. She shook her head as she brought the knife down once more. Eight, slice, slice. There was no backing out. This was for Lila, for Catherine, for Emily and all the women he'd terrorized. Nine, stab. Every day since her captivity, she chanted these goddamn numbers. It was his turn to count his fears. Ten, puncture, puncture. JL screamed, the fire in her spirit, shining light on every shadow of the past, present, and future. Chapter 45. Eleven! Xander jerked his head to the bed and loosened his trigger finger. Still motionless, but it come from that direction. And then another scream, this time from the wall to his left. He stepped further into the room, guns still pointed on the man, eyes trained on the wall. Black hair, skin, blood. They were blurs on the screen. Moans and scream kept coming from there. The camera zoomed in, a face blindfolded. It was her, her nose, her lips, her hair, JL. His arms shook, he couldn't look away. The knife entered the screen, silver like the ones in the other room, but the blade was bloodied, her blood. Out of the corner of his eye, movement caught his attention, black and red. That's what it looked like when she stood from the other side of the bed. The blonde girl who lay there hadn't moved a muscle, not even when JL emerged from the other side. Angel. 
She stood there in her underwear, skin drenched in blood, hair hanging down each side of her bloodied face, and stared at him. The whites of her rounded eyes stood out against the red. She was in shock, hurt, what? Alive. She was fucking alive. But she was not here right now, not lucid. Xander's eyes flicked back to the man. He'd turned around. The first thing Xander noticed was the gun in his outstretched hands. It was pointed inches to Xander's left. Looking up into his face, Xander dropped his gun arm to his side. It was Jason. Just Jason. His eyes were bleeding. Jason's hand trembled with the effort of holding the gun. Xander put his hands up. Jason, it's me. Xander, I'm here and everything is going to be okay. He, had, he cajoled. His phone, his phone vibrated in his pocket. You, Jason spit, punctuating the word with the jerk of his gun. This is your fault, all of it. Jason, JL called her voice, soft, small. Put it down. Screams continued to come across the screen. Jason pointed his gun that way. Is that, turn it off, turn it off. JL moved, relaying her position to Jason as she walked. I'm going to turn it off. Put it down, baby. No. His outburst stilled Xander. He brought him to us. That sick bastard hired him and he put us all here. He's working for him. Xander had no clue what the fuck was happening. Was he angry about JL's father? It was then he saw it. Xander squinted, eyes trained on the floor at legs. He couldn't see whose body they belonged to because the bed was in the way. The stillness of them could mean only one thing, though. Xander looked back at JL. She was carrying a knife in her bloody hand. Jason moved his arms, pointing the gun at Xander's head. Why did you do it? He asked, both anger and sorrow filling those words. Why did you bring the monster into our lives? Xander opened his mouth to reply, but JL cut him off. I can't turn it off, she said, calmly, tinkering with the projector at the back of the room. She was behind Jason now. Good. That was the safest place for her to be. Jason? JL approached him with careful steps. I'm okay. Emily is okay. She reached his side, placing a gentle hand on his arm. He's dead, she said, her voice low. He's gone now. He can't hurt you or me anymore, okay? She reached up and touched his face. Give me the gun, honey. He jerked his head from side to side. I can't, Mom. I have to keep you safe. Jason, police! Nobody move! O'Brien entered the room, gun drawn. Matthews filed in behind her, scanning the room, disgust pinching her face inward. Xander turned back to JL. She was whispering to her son. Put down your gun, O'Brien told Jason. He shook his head. O'Brien, her partner said, we got a body over here. Put down the gun, O'Brien held her handgun outstretched in both hands. The two of them were engaged in a standoff that never ended well for civilians. Jason, Xander called. They're the police. They're here to help. Put it down. You shut the fuck up, Jason yelled. His entire body trembled. Don't you touch her. Don't any of you touch her. Put your gun down, Jason. This is the last time I'm warning you. O'Brien studied the gun in her hands and aimed. No, no. JL must have seen it too. 
She pulled on Jason's arm, begging, pleading. Jason kept repeating, I have to keep you safe. I have to keep you safe. Over and over, his voice monotone. JL turned to O'Brien, her mouth open to speak. Xander watched as her eyes widened. Young JL screamed from behind them. O'Brien jumped. Xander's phone rang. Bang, bang. The world stopped spinning. Chapter 46. Put your gun down, Jason. This is the last time I'm warning you. No, nobody was going to shoot her son. Nobody was going to shoot anybody. JL pulled on Jason's arm. It was warm, sweaty. He couldn't see anything, couldn't tell what was happening. He didn't even know she killed him. Jason, listen to me, son. You have to lower your gun. Nobody is going to hurt me or Emily. It's over. It's over, she repeated, imploring him to listen. But he'd been listening for hours to screams, to torture and rape. Her child had no rational thought left, just the visceral instinct to protect. Jason, please, she begged. Nothing. He wasn't in there. I have to keep you safe. I have to keep you safe, he said, emotionless, wrecked, insane. She'd have to reason with O'Brien. Turning to the woman who held a deadly weapon pointed at the only person in the world J.L. cared about, she decided she'd need to confess to committing murder. She needed to explain the situation, make it clear what Jason went through that he couldn't see. She opened her mouth. Everything that happened next was in slow motion. Catherine screamed. O'Brien jumped, eyes narrowed. J.L. flung her body. Bang, bang. Thump, thump. Thump, thump, thump. JL choked in air, every muscle in her body tensing. She was holding Jason. Blood seeped between them. Oh God, no, 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 no. The room was spinning, blurring, fading. It took a moment to realize they were both on the floor. She focused on his eyes, his beautiful, terrified eyes. Mom, mom, he screamed. I'm sorry, baby. She looked down, the blood, it gushed. She raised a shaky hand to his stomach, trying to wipe it away. It was smooth, intact. He was okay. She looked down at her own stomach. There were voices around her, people moving about. She stared at her bleeding wound. Jason's hand moved over her body. She couldn't feel them. No, mom. No. Oh, God, mom. It's okay, baby. It's okay. She reached her hand up to his face. He closed his eyes. Please, God, a prayer from his lips. Shh, she told him. I love you, she promised, choking. Breathe. She saw hands touching her, people in their space. Their lips moved, but she heard nothing over the sound of Jason's cries. They needed to go. More than Mitch chocolate ice cream. What was she saying? She couldn't breathe and she couldn't think. Why are my thoughts leaking? Don't die on me, mom. Please don't die. I love you so much. More than anything. More than Cheetos. More than anything. Stay with me. Stay safe. I love you. Please, please, please. His voice trailed off even as his lips kept moving. The room was blurred now. Jason, the only thing she could see clearly. 
She smiled at her baby boy. He was a good person and he was alive. Her eyes were heavy, ready for bed, sleep, yes, sleep. She forced her hand to move. It was like dead weight. Placing it over his heart, she willed her lips to move. More than life, she whispered. The room went black. Jail sighed, snuggling down into the comfort of sleep. Chapter 47 She was buried on a perfect fall day, the kind she would have loved. Though the leaves had made their annual quest downward, it was a new death, their colors still a vibrant quilt that blanketed the ground in deep reds and bright yellows. Her grave lay under a large red maple atop a gentle hill. All the headstones, as far as one could see, were gray granite, not a withered one among them. Either all the residents here had just recently died, or the groundskeeper kept the stones in pristine condition. It was a comforting thought that even in death, she would be honored and cared for. The pastor spoke beautiful words as her loved ones gathered beneath the maple. Xander kept tuning them out. The memory of their last conversation played in his head, a broken record of all the things he should have said. He surveyed the crowd, the people whose lives she touched. He wondered if it was possible that any of them missed her more than he did right now. Xander glanced up, watching as the last few leaves broke away from her new roof, flitting down to the ground as though even the tree was weeping. He could feel her in the crowd, JL. It was an impossibility, but he couldn't shake the nagging feeling that she was here, watching, mourning. And as we stand here today, in, honorable, in honor of the incredible life of Agatha Williams, we must allow ourselves to celebrate, to rejoice in the faith that she is with our dear Lord now, even as we grant ourselves a moment of sorrow for the loss this world will truly feel without her here with us in the flesh, Pastor Chad Snyder said. As a pastor, there are certain times throughout the year in which we expect to be speaking in front of a much larger crowd. Christmas Eve, Easter, our monthly potluck lunch, he said, smiling. Because we all know when Betty makes her cornbread stuffing, when Lily brings her famous banana pudding, when Deacon Roger posts a picture to Facebook on Saturday of the ribs he's been smoking all day, those pews are shoulder to shoulder Sunday morning. Xander heard a few snickers and amens. One side of his mouth turned up, even as a tear slid down his cheek. I saved the good stuff for those Sundays, he continued softly, then louder. But in all my years of sermons in this calling, in the hundreds of weddings and funerals I've performed, I've never once spoken in front of a crowd this large. He paused, bowing his head. Anyone who had the pleasure of knowing Gran well knew the purpose she gave herself in this life, knew she had a special place in her heart for the broken and the lost. Over the years, I don't think there's a one among us who wasn't touched and inspired by her wisdom. All of us here were moved by her in both life and death, for we know she gave her life so that a boy might be saved and given a long one, he said, hands crossed in front of him. So take this moment to grieve, to miss her quirkiness and her loving nature, 
but I challenge you today to let that moment of sadness spark a motivation in your in in you to honor her by picking up where she left off. Xander stopped listening, stopped breathing. Behind the crowd of mourners, directly underneath the barren maple, he saw her. Sitting in black from head to toe with a blanket shielding her legs from the wind was JL. There was a woman standing beside her, a nurse, he hoped. It had only been a week since she'd been shot, twice, 600 miles away from here. His heart lurched at the prospect of talking to her, but this was neither the place nor the time. She'd come to say goodbye to a dear friend, not to face the man responsible for all her pain. The crowd bowed their heads in prayer, Xander included. Pastor Chad kept it short, as he was known to do. By the time Xander looked up, JL was gone. He wiped his tears, grateful that she'd been here, that she was alive. People dispersed, heading to the warmth of their cars, anticipating the food that was to be served at Graham's house in an hour, but Xander waited. As they passed him, he received pats and regrets. The pastor and his wife were the last to leave the grave. When they passed, the pastor laid a hand on Xander's shoulder. You couldn't have asked for a better mother, he said in Xander's ear, and she couldn't have raised a better man. We'll see you back at the house. He finished with a squeeze to Xander's shoulder before he walked away. Xander stared at the silver casket while the wind whipped around him. Leaves chased each other on the ground, a few falling into the hole she'd soon be lowered into. Xander thought about the pastor's words, about the woman who'd dedicated and given her life to save others. He smiled, knowing JL was among them. Thank you, he told her grave. I'll do my best to make you proud. A throat cleared behind him. Xander whipped around, hope fluttering in his chest. It was Mike, just Mike. You ready to go, man? His partner asked. Xander nodded. You get those answers yet? Xander asked Mike while they drove to Graham's. She died before JL was shot. Henley had tried to reach him, but Xander hadn't answered his phone until after they'd gotten to the hospital in Charleston. Xander had stayed for two days until the doctors assured him Emily, Jason, and JL were all stable. Emily had been released a few days after a few days of fluids to rehydrate her. She'd had no physical injuries, thank God, though he expected the psychological ones would last longer than it took any wound to heal. Jason had suffered extensive damage to his eyes. They'd been held open for at least 24 hours and his lids had been damaged when he'd removed the speculum. The doctors hadn't been able to tell Xander whether the damage would be lasting or not. JL had been shot twice. She'd taken one bullet to the side of her abdomen, thankfully causing no damage to her organs. The second one had hit her in the thigh. Xander had expected her to still be in the hospital, recovering. Yeah, boss. You sure you want to talk about that now, though? Xander nodded. Marcy gave me the original file for the Freeman case, said our firm had been recommended to Francis by one of her friends down in South Carolina. When she gave it to me, all the preliminary paperwork had been done, deposit already made. She'd been trying to get a hold of that friend for the past week. Finally, yesterday, she did. Turns out, this friend of hers had never actually spoken to Francis in person. They'd started talking on Facebook. Michael, Mike said, rolling his eyes. 
in a group about finding loved ones. He'd posted asking for recommendations in the Louisville area, and Marcy's friend responded. After that, they'd messaged back and forth. All the while, he went by the name of Francis Freeman, with Freeman's picture on his profile and everything. Mike shrugged. Marcy brought us cases before, as you know. Never thought anything of it. Xander hadn't either. Fucking social media. Colton Higgins had toyed with them all. In the end, though, he'd met justice at the hand of JL. Eleven times she'd stabbed him. Xander had spent hours wondering why so many times. Why she'd called out each number. In the end, he supposed she'd had a moment of insanity, spurned by years of fear. Xander had been worried O'Brien would go after JL for the overkill, but Colton Higgins, alias Algos, had been credited with 47 murders in 24 years, and O'Brien had been credited with his demise. He didn't know any other cops in Charleston, so he couldn't say whether there'd been repercussions for JL getting shot. It wasn't until after Xander flew home that he found out the sick truth. Higgins had been Jason's professor this semester, had spent three days a week with him, searching for answers about JL. Only when he realized Jason was so closed-mouthed, he had hired Xander's firm. How do you suppose he knew JL was here? Xander asked. Mike shook his head. No idea, man. Guess we won't ever know now. Xander thought about that the entire drive back to Grand's. There was a list of things he felt he'd never get answers to. JL's well-being was at the very top of it. Chapter 48 J.L. perused the small bookstore, having come early. She picked up a romance novel, turning it to read the blurb on the back. With a soft, sad smile, she tucked it into the crook of her arm. This one was a keeper. It looked like something Gran would have loved. It had been two months since Gran passed, but it still felt fresh. Passing by the windows, J.L. smiled. Flurries danced about out there whitening Bardstown Road, purifying it. Autumn had passed now, nature's death complete. It was winter's task to cleanse away the rot, preparing the earth for new growth. For the first time in her life, JL was looking forward to the spring. After purchasing the book, JL turned to the rear of Carmichael's bookstore, heading for the coffee shop in the back. Hind Brothers was a new find for JL. The doctors had ordered her to walk as much as possible to ensure her leg was fully healed. She'd taken the opportunity to explore the city up the road that she'd purposely ignored for 20 years. Walking the highlands and enjoying the eccentric shops that inhabited this part of Louisville had become JL's weekly exercise. She ordered her coffee, took a seat in the corner by the window, opened her new book, and read, Hey, J.L. glanced up and smiled. Please sit. Emily took a seat, her own coffee in hand. She looked good, better than J.L. expected. Her hair was shorter and a few shades darker, almost brown. Her eyes were light, unburdened. How are you? J.L. asked, jumping right in. She'd asked Emily to meet her here today. 
The young woman had seemed happy too. JL's smile was, or sorry, Emily's smile was weighted. I'm getting there. I'm going to move back home at the end of the week. The semester's over and I'm transferring. JL nodded, understanding. Where's home? Indianapolis. Emily ran a hand through her hair. My mom found a really great psychologist there and I'd be closer to my family. Oh, that's great, Emily. I'm happy for you. And she was. Family is everything. How are you? I'm good, actually. Mostly healed now and just relishing the fact that I'm alive. How? Emily looked left and right, then ducked her head. After everything you've been through, after all the terrible things that you've suffered. Emily trailed off, her eyes going distant, likely re remembering the videos of Catherine. JL half smile. She understood that question so well. A wise woman once told me that I have a choice in life. I can choose to hide away, let the weight of life crush me, or I can choose to rise above it. I'm choosing the latter. What do you mean? JL chuckled, shaking her head. She looked down at her book, noting the page she was on. Closing it and resting her hands on top, JL raised her head and started talking. As the two women chatted about life, sipping coffee and laughing, the flurries outside turned into large flakes, layering the ground in soft snow. A motorcycle sat in her driveway when she returned home from the Highlands. JL racked her brain, certain she knew nobody who drove one. Parking behind it, she looked around but saw no one. She clutched her pepper spray as she got out of the car. Mom! JL looked up, shocked he was here. After his release from the hospital in Charleston, Jason flew back home and checked himself into a mental health clinic. She'd seen him only a handful of times in the last two months his request, a fact that had weighed heavily on her heart. She didn't know he'd checked himself out. Jogging through the snow, she grabbed him in a fierce hug. I've missed you. He took a step back. I missed you too, Mom. He hadn't cut his hair in a while. It was long now, past his ears. A few strands covered one eye. That your motorcycle? He nodded. Yeah, I traded in the Jeep. You like it? JL frowned. It was too cold to be driving that thing. What about the snow? Jason looked away, clearing his throat. <sighs> Not something I'll have to worry about too long, he hedged. I'm leaving, Mom, today. Gonna take a road trip, clear my head a bit. She swallowed a lump of regret. Where are you going? Jason shrugged. I don't know yet. Somewhere warm for now, then later down the line, who knows? Wherever the road takes me, I guess. A tremble started in Jael's lower lip, but she forced it to still. Do you know how long? Jason shook his head, his eyes imploring her to understand. I need this. Jael leapt into his arms. I know, kiddo, I know, she said, her head propped on his shoulder. You be careful, okay? She breathed in his scent, committing it to memory. I will. When she pulled away, she noticed a large moving box on her doorstep. What's that? Jason shook his head. It was here when I pulled up. She shook it off. Later. <sighs> don't be a stranger, son. Call me every once in a while so I know you're okay. You don't have to give me any details. Just let me hear your voice when you get the chance. I will. 
After one last hug and an exchange of goodbyes, she watched her boy's retreating form walk to his new vehicle. After he straddled the bike, he glanced back. Hey, Mom. I don't have his hands. A smile teased his lips, and she heard relief in his voice. Her own shook when she said, Nope, you have your grandfather's. Maybe I'll stop in and see him sometime. JL smiled. That would be good. The sound of his bike rumbling away was deafening in the solitude of the snow. Her heart hurt for all the things he'd seen, for everything he'd been forced to endure. She stayed on her porch until the sound of his motor faded into nothingness. And then she cried. Chapter 49. Once he'd ridden south of Elizabethtown, the snow was scarce. At some point, he'd taken an exit. It didn't matter, had it mattered enough to pay attention to which one. And now Jason cruised the backcountry roads of southern Kentucky. The faded asphalt curled through tiny communities, their land vast, their homes small, their residents hiding. The winter breeze was cold in his lungs. Out here on the road, alone, with the wind to numb his impulses, he almost felt normal. Almost felt like he hadn't lost his mind months ago. Could pretend he hadn't seen those things. Could almost talk himself into believing he'd imagined it all. Denial is a cool, soothing salve. Dr. Parker from the clinic had called it psychotics breaks first love the catalyst for all the internal growth it faces before reaching full maturity. But then again, Dr. Parker spewed a good amount of bullshit in the two months Jason had spent there. He let up on the throttle around a sharp curve. Leaning into it, he felt the pull of gravity call a seductive plea to his shoulders. His heart raced, hands clenched. He hadn't quite mastered the art of his new vehicle yet. Jason had been eyeing the river ahead, the one he'd drive straight into if his turn wasn't correct. And that's why he didn't see it. The world capsized. The bike went down. His right arm and leg hit ground in rapid succession. Hard. The leather seat flew backward as he skidded across the road. Jason barely had time to register what had happened before he heard it. A scream. Loud and shrill, it pierced his skull as the river and hills blackened around him. The scars around his eyes burned and his wrist ached. No, please, God, stop. Make it stop. Jason shook his head over and over. He looked up, down, around. Everything was gray and black and he couldn't breathe and he couldn't think. Not again. Not now. This hadn't happened in over a month. Please, no. Jason squeezed his eyes shut. It was over. They were safe. He wrote it in his mind, capital S, lowercase a-f-e, S-A-F-E, S-A-F-E, S-A-F-E. You okay, sir? Hard fall you took there. An awkward chuckle. You scared the bejesus out of my daughter. Jason opened his eyes and lifted the visor on his helmet. A middle-aged man in overalls and a wide-eyed, homely young girl stood a few feet away. Jason blinked once, twice. Colors bled back into his surroundings. I'm fine. And he was. Nothing a few bandages and peroxide wouldn't cure. With effort, he stood. 
Thanks for your concern. The man nodded. Didn't see that in the road or I would have moved it. Jason turned. A large scrap of metal lay right where he'd gone down. He shrugged and took off for his bike on the opposite shoulder. Situated in his seat, Jason took a shaky breath. That could have gone a lot worse. The engine revved without a groan. All's well that ends. She screamed again. Jason jerked. The little girl had been flung over her father's shoulder as he carried her like a sack of potatoes. It was a good scream. A good one. No terror. No horror. No knife. The voices in his head. Please. Please. The girl squealed and giggled. Jason flexed his hands. My hands. Mine. And shook it off. It was time to get back on the road. The road to anywhere but here. Anywhere without memories. Without pain. He watched in his side mirror as the man tickled and played with his daughter. Best to stick to back roads as much as possible for a while. Less people. Less distraction. Less risk. Jason picked up speed and allowed the frost to enter his lungs. Numbness. Denial. Safe. 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 Chapter 50. The box had been sitting on JL's coffee table for three days. She'd torn the seal when she brought it in inside after Jason left. A quick look inside had given her all the information she'd needed. A letter sat atop rows of books. It was from Gran. JL had needed to allow her heart to heal for a few days before she found the courage to open it. It's a wonderful life played in the background this blustery morning as she stared at the box from her place on the couch next to the roaring fire. She'd been thinking about Gran and Xander all morning, mostly Xander. She'd berated herself for two months. She'd been too much of a coward to face him at Gran's funeral, too afraid of rejection, of judgment, scared to death to see a look of disgust in his eyes after what she'd done. JL took a long sip of her creamy coffee, allowing the warmth to calm her nerves. Reaching inside, she took the letter between her fingers and sat back. It was time. Dearest JL, well, shit, I up and died on everyone, didn't I? I asked Derby to give you this letter along with some of my favorite steamy romance novels a couple months after I'm gone. Don't worry, none. They ain't too dirty. I hope this package finds you well, sweet lady finds you healthy and safe. Xander just left my side to be by yours, and I, I pray it all ends the way it's supposed to. Don't go feeling no guilt about that either, because I made him leave. I let him think I'd be fine, but I know it's almost my time. God's decided he's ready for crazy up in heaven, so I'm going to be making that trip real soon, but I couldn't go without telling you a few things. I'm proud of you. I got a feeling you ain't been told that many times in your life. It's true. I am. The day I met you, you was a scared woman, afraid of every shadow, afraid every time the sun went down. But the last time I saw you, you were different. You moving up, honey. That determination and calm I saw in them eyes when you spoke of going to get your boy, it was like you were finally alive. And it made me so happy, so proud, so full of gratitude. Last thing I want to say is a bit of advice for you. Whether this applies to your relationship with Xander or any other man in the future, it's all the same. Men are assholes. Every one of them to some degree. 
It's in their nature. However, a good man knows how to beat nature most of the time. But even the most pedigreed, perfectly trained dogs lick their own balls sometimes. I love you, JL. I do. It's up to you to do what you're, what you're able to forgive and what you're not. And nobody can tell you what's right for you. Just know that forgiveness can be one of the most satisfying virtues, especially when it brings you a step closer to someone who deserves it. Keep climbing. Keep sitting above. Keep your heart soft and your conscience clear. Love, Grant. JL's tears stained the signature. She stood, placing the letter back in the box. She turned off the movie, heading for the door. Grabbing her phone off the foyer table, she snatched her coat off the rack. A text pinged. Dad, how you holding up? Smiling, JL typed a response while shrugging on her coat and plucking her purse off the hanger. I'm good. Can't talk now. He responded almost immediately. Everything okay? Was it? She opened the door, replying once more. It will be. I'll text you later, Dad. Gotta go find an old friend. JL jogged to her car, unlocked it, threw in her purse, and hopped right in without pause. Dad, follow your heart. JL smiled as she started her ignition. That's exactly what she planned to do. that's it y'all that's that's the end what did you think um it's been a long ride this this is a long book uh in print it's even the bigger books uh six by nine um so it's bigger than normal books and in print it's still 430 pages um if that were in like a regular five and a half by eight and a half um size that would be even more pages so Yes, that was a long book, uh, but it was needed to tell this very detailed, intricate, crazy web of lies uh, of a story that you just heard. So I, um, if you've stuck with me since the beginning, I really hope that um, everything was kind of wrapped up how um, it should have been in your eyes. Um, I, I know when I first released this book in 2018, I had a lot of... Um, romance type readers because a lot of my good friends um, are writers and most of them write romance um, and I know when they like read it they were like wait where's the love how come Sander and JL don't hook up in the end and um, that wasn't the story it just it wasn't right for this story this is JL's story it, it was also Xander's story it was also Jason's story um, but when it comes down to it, JL had to save herself and she had to love herself and she had to face her past. Um, and she had to be truthful about who she was and where she came from. Um, and these were all the, of the driving factors for her story. And yes, there was romance there. And yes, it alludes to the very end, her going to find a good friend. So, Obviously, we know, spoil, I mean, if you guys don't know, yes, she was going to see Xander. Um, and we don't know how the interaction goes, but 
Um, I think we know Xander as a person and JL as a person enough to know that it probably ended up pretty happy. Um, so that was it guys. I just absolutely adored going through this with you guys. I know I have been thinking a lot about whether or not, um, I was going to narrate dark dead stars. Um, and I am, so that's coming next. You will hear dark dead stars. It will be on this podcast. Um, it will probably not be multiple times a week, like, um, where the shadow lies was for a good portion of it. Not like the last couple weeks when you're getting like one episode every three weeks, but, um, it'll probably be one a week and, um, it's a shorter book, so it's probably will not have as many episodes. Um, so anyway, that's what's next for villains and monsters. I'm super excited about that. Um, as for me as a writer, I am still writing a domestic suspense, psychological suspense, but it has been put on hold a lot and personal moment for you guys. Um, I struggle sometimes with, um, depression and anxiety. Um, and I've had a rough go this summer. <laughs> Usually summers are rough for me because it's so freaking hot outside and I hate the heat and I hate the sun. Um, but this time it's been for different reasons. Um, and I've really had to do a lot of personal reflection, a lot of, um, reading and personal growth and, and really aligning what I want to do with my life, um, to where my passions are. So I don't have everything in stone directly yet, but I will tell you that, um, I'm most likely going to be splitting my time between writing and, um, a different kind of work, um, a different kind of writing. Um, it'll be more nonfiction, more, um, really digging into issues that are really, uh, hurting people these days. So, um, I am still doing my own personal educating, my own learning, my own growth, um, so I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, but I know that I just have this feeling of being called to action, um, and to doing what's right. So, um, I've been, you know, obviously you guys know this episode should have already been out. So I've been kind of slacking on this and I've been kind of slacking on, um, writing and, um, I'm, I do edit. So I have been editing for friends, but other than that, I've been really, uh, pulled back from social media and, um, everything that's going on in the writing world because I'm the kind of person that, um, becomes obsessive about what they can do to be better. So that's where I'm going. That's where my heart is. Um, obviously I am a writer, so I will always write and I will always write fiction. It just may not be as much as I thought that I was going to be doing and that's okay. Um, 
So stay tuned uh, to learn more about what's going to be happening um, when the second season of Villains and Monsters starts with Dark Dead Stars. I will probably have more information about that. I am I am playing with the idea of doing another podcast, different, obviously not focused on fiction. Um, and, um, you know, doing a lot of exploring and book reading and discussion and those kinds of things. But I should know more uh, when season two comes out, which um, it is July 17th as I record this. And season two of Villains and Monsters, Dark Dead Stars, is going to be releasing on the first week of August. So, um, you know, we got a couple weeks and then season two will start. And I cannot wait for you guys to hear Dark Dead Stars. Dark Dead Stars, in my opinion, is far better than Where the Shadow Lies. Of course, I do love Where the Shadow Lies. Um, but Dark Dead Stars is written a lot differently. Um, and it's also written from multiple point of views, uh, but one of them is in first person. Um, and it is a lot more action, whereas Where the Shadow Lies had a lot of personal reflection and facing your own demons and those kind of things. Um, Dark Dead Stars is very action oriented. Um, and it, I'll just kind of tell you a little bit about it. Um, it's about a blogger named Alexa Storm and what she does is she follows serial killers around the country and blogs about the, their victims. Um, so she's a bit crazy. Anybody would have to be crazy to just freelance, follow some serial killers. Um, but this is about a particular case. Um, and it's, my favorite part of the book, I think, is that it is set in the Pacific Northwest um, on the coast of Washington. And I have a really great friend who is from there. So she was kind of my tour guide. And all the imagery is just my favorite part of the book. So anyway, um, it's coming. It's crazy. Uh, it's about psychopaths. And it's going to make you be like, what the fuck? especially if you were like, what the fuck for where the shadow lies. Okay. So I will see you guys soon. Let me know what you thought about the book, uh, villains and monsters at gmail.com. Um, or you can contact me on my website. I will have all my links there and thank you for hanging in with me guys. I hope that you enjoy jail and Xander and Jason's story. And I hope that it, um, that it helped you, um, open your eyes to some of the things that go on with women who have been victims. Um, anyway, y'all have a fabulous fucking day. I'll see you guys in a couple weeks, beginning of August, and we are going to meet Alexa Storm and she's going to blow your fucking mind. All right. Bye guys.